keeps a pen behind her ear in case she's got something she really, really needs to say. Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Gone jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. Hello and welcome to another episode of Represent on Sid Nation, the hour of politics. I'm Zizi. And I'm Ben. And I'm Tash. On today's show, we'll be looking back at the German elections that have just passed and give you an update on the results and what's happened since then. We'll also be looking at President Trump and his Twitter feud with North Korea and whether the the rhetoric he's spurting is actually a declaration of war. And we'll also have a discussion on Japan's snap election where we'll be looking at why this has been announced and what this could mean for future ties. And of course, as usual, we'll be having Pop Chat, the perfect closing segment to an otherwise dense political episode, where we offer up the most noteworthy, hilarious or awkward headlines of the week. You can get involved with us. Just uh, send us a tweet at at SinRepresent or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash SinRepresent. As always, we're going to start with a song. So this is Louis the Child and Ash with World on Fire. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation.
Summertime by the Zombies, and before that, you heard World on Fire by Louis the Child and Ash. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. So, since our episode last week, we wanted to give an update on the German election uh, and the results. Um, German Chancellor Angela Merkel has secured a fourth term in office, but she faced heavy losses in the polls, which means her party now faces months of talks to try and form a coalition and form a stable party. And what's also interesting is that the leaders of the AFD, the Alternative for Germany, have left. What are your thoughts? In terms of Merkel, it's very interesting that this is her relatively her worst loss uh, victory yet. She only took about 33% of the vote um, on Sunday. Um, it still gives her enough of uh, seats in order to have a good negotiating stance in order to form a coalition. How it's interesting to see that her um, her hold on the Bundestag is declining. Um, in terms of uh, Alternative for Deutschland, um, I mean, they've only just entered uh, the Bundestag for the first time. Um, they represent... Uh, what was considered a far-right stance, and this was the first time they've kind of managed to be voted in into um, the parliament. So I think they represent a very interesting force, and I guess the fact that they kind of seem to collapse as soon as they entered the door is slightly amusing, but perhaps something to be aware of. Yes, they got about 13% of the total vote in this election and obtained 94 seats, which is their third largest party in Germany now, which is really remarkable for a party that's relatively new compared to the 
old players. So it'll be interesting if, with their leaders resigning from the party, if there's, if this is a wave of change in Germany, or if this is a short-lived, hopeful project. Yeah, so um, the two leaders that resigned were Marcus Pretzel and his wife, uh, Falk Petri. Uh, Marcus Pretzel is actually a member of the European Parliament, which means he represents Germany at the EU, and he's in a coalition of anti-EU uh, parties. Uh, it's called the Europe's Nations and Freedoms Faction, and it's partially associated with Marine Le Pen. Um, and it's interesting that he has disassociated disassociated himself with Alternative for Deutschland. Um, he's been a leader, I believe, since 2015. And he seems to have projected this idea that the party that ran in this election no longer represented the party that he intended to lead. And I think the same sentiment was um, also said by uh, Farouk Petri, his wife, who was elected to the German parliament. Um, these two figures had been clashing with, I guess, the majority of the rest of their party for quite some time over what Alternative for Deutschland actually represents in terms of its ideology. Do you think that, um, so you said that he was a, a EU sceptic, so how do you think it's changed the ideology of the AFD? Yeah, so the AFD began as an anti-European party. It, w it was largely formed to kind of fight against uh, some of the um, federalism or the attempts to kind of create a stronger EU and weaker nation national rights um, for local parliaments. So it kind of emerged of this battle between, you know, what is a bigger Europe versus stronger nations. And it's kind of evolved from there. Um, it, it, it's evolved, and now that it's largely seen as an anti-immigration party, um, it's called for uh, a strong border police force, um, which is against the ideas of the European Union, uh, the Shenzhen Zone, which allows for free movement of people. Um, it's also called on for, you know, for Germany to ban the burqa. It's got a lot of anti-Islamic policies, anti-immigrant policies generally. Um, and so it's kind of evolved from a Eurosceptic party to a much more, um, I guess, socially active um, a party that tries to protect what they see as German and German ideals against invading forces. So I think that's why Pretzel and his wife have disassociated themselves because it's kind of morphed from a, a an economic and like idea of governance party to a more ideologically populist party I, I think I think it's interesting looking at the sort of the details of who voted and how that um, the highest well, the age group that voted for AFD was that was the highest was 35 to 44 year olds, and the lowest was um, 70 year olds at seven percent. I think the age difference, sort of that age social understanding, is interesting to look at. Obviously, the older generation have um, sort of witnessed Germans' history, Germany's history, and sort of like the 30 30 year olds. I don't know. I think that's an interesting... When it comes to like that kind of demographic, it's interesting that 
these are probably the people that have been most hard done by by uh, globalization and you know this fluid market that the EU creates these are people who probably have not got strong um, uh, job prospects especially if they're coming from like industrialist backgrounds such as in the south and the east where uh, the AFD votes were strongest um, when it comes to 70 year olds I, I can imagine the, the alternative for Deutschland's kind of rhetoric about not being ashamed um, of German culture um, kind of grates a little uh, they got into a lot of controversy um, over the years about calling for Germany not to be as ashamed for its war history, that they've protested or at least made comments about uh, Berlin's uh, Holocaust Memorial being inappropriate as a symbol of national shame in the capital. And I think for a lot of older Germans, this would be quite um, uncomfortable um, just because they witnessed these atrocities and were a lot more aware of what Germans' hit legacy is than perhaps people who have grown up in a new era with their own problems disconnected from that history. Hmm. Oh yeah, and it will be interesting to take note to see if um, Merkel takes note of the AFD's popularity and s- attempts to see if she'll implement or have a look into their policies to see if something that she might follow on to attract the older voters and those 30 to 40 year olds that might have been voted for Merkel in the past but no longer do because they don't believe that she's the right person to lead Germany. So if the AFD can cause a change within Merkel's coalition and the wider Germany, it will be It'll make some interesting discussion later on for it. Yeah, definitely. Although, although we have to remember that uh, while it is fascinating that you know the AFD is the third largest party, uh, we have to remember that they only did draw in about thirteen percent of the vote, and by far the majority of Germans are voting for these central parties like Merkel's um, Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, who are on the. Um, centre-left. Uh, these kind of central parties are drawing a lot of people, um, whereas like more parties that kind of are away from the centre are only drawing about around 10% of the vote each. So there is a fracturing process that happens when you have like uh, this kind of coalition form of government, but by far the majority of Germans are going for centralist parties. Um... Should we go for a song? Yeah, that yeah. sounds lovely. Uh, so don't forget to join the discussion and let us know what you think by tweeting to us at SinRepresent or let us know on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. This is Super Cruel and Lisa Mitchell with November. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. We used to ride and die together, sleeping in the dark, remember? Told you that you made me better. We should have had it all.
was Sophie Lowe with Understand, and before that you heard Super Cruel and Lisa Mitchell with November. So this Thursday, Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe called a snap election for the country. Um, he called he dissolved the lower house of parliament and called for an election, I believe, in October. Um, now many see this as uh, Mr. Abe announced that he the snap election was necessary for him to claim a strong mandate for major changes in the economy and, of course, to deal with the looming threat of North Korea. However, political analysts are saying that it's likely that Mr Abe actually called the election to exploit a weak and divided opposition and therefore secure a larger electoral man, um, hold on the parliament. I think it's um, just looking up on the Prime Minister and sort of the the way the electorate would have voted for him in July or earlier this year, how his poll numbers were really bad. And now that they've gone up, he's just like, let's let's get an election going. I think that's sort of interesting yeah. sort of thing. His party, the, the Liberal Democrat Party, is quite a conservative party and it does tend to do well, ironically, when there is a lot of regional tensions. So with North Korea making quite a few uh, very... Uh, visible um, advances in their military program. It's interesting that his stance on North Korea, which is quite a strong stance, um, has really uh, gelled well with the public. And I think the opposition party, which may have been calling for softer, more diplomatic means of dealing with North Korea, um, are struggling to find kind of a uniting point um, of course, this election isn't just about regional tensions. There's also a lot of um, economic debates going on in uh, Japan, especially with an aging population and a declining workforce. Um, however, it seems like his popularity could ver- be very well influenced by fears of a stronger, more militaristic neighbour. Yes, and building on about the military tensions, especially in the Japanese areas... Um, there's a strong feeling in Japan that the Prime Minister's wanting to pass through a constitutional revision, um, which, because at the moment Japan's constitution prohibits uh, any form of land, sea or air forces and commits them to a pac- um, pacifist foreign policy, which is certainly something that uh, would like to change, and especially with the growing tensions in the region with China and North Korea. Yeah, Shinzo Abe famously called for a, a large reform of this section of the constitution which doesn't allow for an army. However, uh, I think it's um, the Japanese Defence Force does exist and it has strong, uh, it is a strong military force, although it's not allowed to be an offensive military force. So whenever Japan does. It, it has a large humanitarian program in which it sends its forces overseas. And, of course, it has strong naval presence in the Sea of Japan and its region. However, there are certain limits that that section of the Constitution does limit on how aggressive they can be. And I think uh, uh, when Shinzo Abe was calling for these reforms, I think a lot of it was to do with more with the disputed territories. Um, so the islands to their north, which they have disputes with with Russia, 
and North Korea. These islands are uninhabited, but there are, you know, territorial disputes over them. Japan Japan can't be aggressive in those regions uh, because of its constitution. However, I think, like, his stance on, you know, military reform has kind of become of great symbolic value when you have North Korea being a lot more loud and beating the drums of war. Um, and I think this has put him in a good stance for an upcoming election. Yes, as was mentioned before, his approval, his disapproval ratings were in the 60s uh, um, earlier last month. So he may be trying to ride the approval ratings now that he sees that he's more popular and people are liking him more. He may be trying to ride this into the upcoming election instead of waiting until next year for an election. Yeah, it is interesting, though. Um, currently, Shinzo Abe is sitting on a very strong hold of the parliament. I believe he has about two-thirds of the seats, which is considered a, a supermajority in in Japan, Japanese politics. And it's interesting that he is kind of risking this really strong stance to gain an even stronger mandate. I guess the logic is he doesn't want an election when there may be even more increased tensions, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch. What his main opposition party, Mr. Uh, Mr. Abe comes from a conservative party, and it doesn't seem like his main opposition is coming from the left. It's actually coming from another conservative party that has been recently formed called the Party of Hope, led by the Tokyo governor, Yukuri Koriki. Um, what do you guys think? It's quite interesting that it's it was um, the Party for Hope was a sp- splintered off the Liberal Democratic Party, so it's fairly interesting that it came from Abe's own party, and that he perceives them as a serious threat and not somebody from the centre left, but someone that's ideologically closer to him, but still poses a significant risk to him. Yeah, so uh, the leader of the party, who formed it only a few months ago, I believe, maybe within this year, is the Tokyo governor, Yukuri Kuriki. She's been the first female governor of Tokyo. Uh, and she, she's also served as his defence minister under Shinzo Abe's former government. So she has a stronghold on the, the kind of electoral debates going on as a former defence minister. Um, and a lot of analysts are saying she's quite media savvy. She was also a, a news anchor quite a few years ago, and so she obviously knows how to uh, represent herself to the public. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Abe faces opposition from someone so ideologically close. It'll be interesting to watch debates, because I can't see them having much issues where they're not aligned ideologically? I think the main issues where they separate is to do with nuclear power. I don't want to say her name wrong. <laughs> you can say it first and then I'll... I'll uh, Yuriko Kuriki? Um, so she would like to abandon, Japan to abandon nuclear power and eliminate its dependence by 2030. And Abe's government wants to keep its role in the energy mix, um, despite all those worries over you know, the Fukushima nuclear crisis in 2011. Um, so 
I think that's that's a that's a pretty big, especially when we talk about um, North Korea as sort of the backdrop of this campaign, is a big difference. And it'll be interesting to see how they debate or come out of debates when those like nuclear power is the topic of discussion. Um, yeah, and also taxes. I think she differs in taxes. Yeah. I guess with the issue of North Korea, uh, sorry, not North Korea, nuclear power, um, it'll be interesting to see, because that's a major revival of their energy policy, it'll be interesting to see what alternatives um, Ms. Kuroki presents to the public, um, seeing as Japan is very reliant on nuclear energy, um, but also there's a lot of opposition because, of course, their history with the Fukushima nuclear power plant... So the elections are on October 22nd, so we'll be following up on the story if there are any changes, but um, I guess now we'll go to a song. What are we playing? This is Mink with Gold Angel. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation, the hour of politics. All dressed up, nowhere to go, TV's on. Look me up, I'm not there Leave a message, show you Photograph, look out for 
goodbyes are getting old. Next time you can go ahead and go. I'm tired of begging you.